So, Luke 15. Now, we're still in the story of us, his story of us, and we're going through some of the great stories of the Bible. This is, this is one of the great stories of the Bible. This is the parable of Jesus where he talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. We're today going to talk about the lost sheep. Uh, it, it's, it's such a powerful story, and I'm, we're calling this the joy of heaven. What makes heaven joyful? What's, what makes heaven excited? And so Jesus tells us this story that's so interesting. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. The tax collectors and the sinners. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, you may know what's a sinner. Well, to the, to the Jewish mindset, you know, to, to the Pharisees and the scribes, a sinner was an irreligious Jewish person. In other words, it was someone who was a Jew by nationality, but they were not practicing Judaism. They weren't going to the temple. They weren't offering sacrifices. They were not even endeavoring to keep the law. They were lawbreakers of all kinds. And so they were, they were sinners. This is not referring to Gentiles. From their standpoint, Gentiles, us as Gentiles, non-Jews, were so out, far outside the promise, we were without hope and couldn't know God at all, so we didn't matter. So this is about Jewish sinners who were separated from God and tax collectors. It's interesting that the tax collectors are always on the top of the list. And... Uh, they, they just considered tax collectors sellouts because they, they were working for Rome to get taxes from the Jewish people that they were giving to Rome, and they got to skim large quantities off the top. They were, they were greedy. Uh, they betrayed the Jewish people. They considered themselves sellouts. So the Pharisees are mad. They're upset because these people who are not, don't fit the picture of what Jewish God followers should look like are following Christ. And they keep saying to him, you, you receive them. In other words, you're not rejecting them. You're receiving them. Their, their way of dealing with these people was to ignore them and stay away from them. That was, I mean, that was, that was what they thought they were supposed to do. As Pharisees, they were, they were keeping themselves pure and and righteous by staying away from unholy people, from people that they felt didn't measure up. You know, they were always keeping a distance, always judging. So if you're going to do that, you've got to judge whether people are worthy of your love, right? So that, that's the challenge. What's interesting, though, that, the, that these people on the margins, people on the outside, people that don't fit into the religious uh, community, these people on the margins, these sinners, they're, they're drawn to Jesus. They keep coming to Jesus to hear him teach and preach. They're, they're attracted to his message. And he didn't compromise the truth. It wasn't like he was watering down the truth. He is the truth. But he, he didn't just preach the truth he also gave them hope. 
He was offering, as John did, John offered these people a way back to God. And Jesus was offering a way to God, and this was appealing to them. Jesus often got accused of eating with sinners, in other words, being too friendly. He entered Jericho and there was, and was passing through, and there was a certain man called Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because the crowd, for he was small in stature, stature so he ran ahead and climbed up, climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Anybody remember a Bible, a church you learned in nursery school? Right? When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And they hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. For the Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this man's house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? We get a picture here. To seek and to save the lost. Then Luke chapter 5 verse 27. This is about Matthew. After he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. And Levi gave a big reception for him in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors. Because if you're a tax collector, you're outcast by everybody else. Who else can you hang out with? Tax collectors. So there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at table with him. The Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, Jesus considered everyone in need of a physician. Everyone was sick with sin and needed to be healed. And he's the only one who can heal us. The only one who can heal us from the the, the disease of sin is Jesus. And he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, who's righteous? Nobody. Nobody's righteous on their own. And that was the problem that the Pharisees and the scribes had. Uh, the, the Pharisees thought they were not lost and they were. They just thought everybody else was. Matthew 23, 13. Jesus says this about the Pharisees. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. There's actually eight woes that Jesus pronounces in this 23rd chapter of Matthew. This is not all of them. But woe to you, the king, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter into it yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, some people say Jesus was soft, and no, he wasn't. <laughs> if you were one of the Pharisees hearing this, this was a pretty hard message, right? 
because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and even when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? The Pharisees, though they were religious, Jesus said, you're religious and you work really hard at making a proselyte that will follow you, but when you do, they're not following God. You make them twice the son of hell as you are. Even religious people like Nicodemus, who was one of the leaders, needed a personal encounter with God. He Although he was a part of the old covenant, the old covenant was not enough. They needed to embrace the new covenant, and the new covenant is Jesus. They needed to believe in Jesus as their Savior. John chapter 3, verse 1, Nicodemus came to Christ. Now, there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was, you know, he was high up in the political structure of the Pharisees. This man came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? Because he was afraid of the other Pharisees. You can see the other Pharisees are against Christ. They don't see Christ. Even if they believe he's the Messiah, they're more concerned about keeping their political power and keeping things the way they are than they are about receiving the Messiah. So Nicodemus comes at night. He says, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher for no one do these signs that you do unless God is with them with him. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? No. Now, you could say Nicodemus totally missed what Jesus was saying, right? He's saying, you, you need to have a new birth. You need to experience a new birth in Christ. And Nicodemus says, well, I, you know, I mean, Nicodemus is an old man. His mother's probably dead. Very likely his mother, he said, wait a minute, that, this is not possible. How can a man be born again? When he's old, Jesus answered, truly I, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water, that's the first time, right? What happens before birth? A woman's water breaks, right? First time is born of water, not of blood, but of water. And the spirit, the second time you're born, not physically, but spiritually, you were born again by the Spirit into the kingdom of God, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Even Paul, who was a self-righteous Pharisee, who was working really, really hard, of being, trying to be a good follower of the law, he was lost. Philippians 3, 4. Although I might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He said, if I'm going to depend upon being saved by my works, then I would have confidence in the flesh. Circumcised the eighth day, that's what the law required of the nation of Israel. 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul says, everything, and he said, all my, everything that I've achieved, everything that I've moved up in this religious political system, everything that I consider myself to be, everything that I consider about myself being righteous on my own. He said, I count that as rubbish. It's dung. It's nothing. So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, my righteousness is not in my works. My righteousness comes from Christ. That's salvation. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul is saying this again in a different way. It's a trustworthy statement deserving fullest acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Before he was bragging about his righteousness, now he's saying, I'm lost and I need Jesus. My only hope is Christ. The Barna Research Group uh, found that in, in talking to people, they found that only 63% of people who attend church are born again. That's both frightening and exciting at the same time. Think about it. That means that 37% of the people who were sitting in most churches on a Sunday morning, a lot of those people think they're saved, but they are not. They have, it doesn't mean that they haven't bought into the system, that they haven't become thoroughly churched. It doesn't mean that they don't have great knowledge. It means that they don't personally know Christ. They have not been born again. Billy Graham said it one time, and one, one time he said, Probably 85% of the people sitting in Southern Baptist churches did not know Christ. So the reality is, on any Sunday morning, a great percentage of people who attend church don't know Jesus. Now, the frightening thing is, if they think they do, and they don't, that they have been inoculated by their attendance or by their knowledge that they think those things have saved them, then they are in a bad place. If they know they're lost, that's great news. Jesus rejoiced when those who were sinners gathered around him. They were attracted to his message, the message of life. And I hope my hope as pastor is that we always have people in this room who don't know Jesus. That should be our goal. Our goal is that it's not like, oh, well, we, we want to be 100% believers. No, we don't. 
we want to we have a, a number of people that are always in the journey. And some of you are here today because you're in the journey. God's drawing you to himself. It's like you don't even know. You don't even understand. It doesn't make sense. I don't even like this spirit of stuff. But there's something happening internally. You're being born again by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is drawing you to salvation in Jesus Christ. So on one hand, there's a great need for people who don't know Jesus to come to a true faith. And there's a great need to recognize that there's a harvest always around us. That there are lost people always around us that that don't know Jesus. Sandy Johnson, who attends this church, has been in this church for a long time. She uh, grew up in church. She went to camp. She walked to the front a bunch of times and got saved and uh, rededicated and all the things that we do in different uh, streams of Christianity. You know, if you, one stream, you got to get re-saved. Another, stay, another stream, you're getting rededicated. But both in that you're trying to get right with God. And when her husband, Greg, who had not really grown up uh, a Christian, when he got saved, Sandy, in her testimony, said, I recognize that he had something that I did not. And she realized that what she had was not Christianity, but churchianity. She had just bought into the system and had not surrendered her life to Christ. She had not been born again. We want to see that everyone gets born again. You must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You must personally receive Christ as your, your Savior on earth. I mean, that is our hope. That is our desire. That is, that is, that's, the, that's the great mission of the church is to share the good news. So in response to this, then Jesus just then tells this parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave them when he has signed in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, the purpose of this story is to tell us what God is like. So he's telling us what God is like. He says, I tell you, this is what heaven is like. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What does this say? It says that the heart of heaven is salvation for lost people. If that is the heart of heaven, that should be our heart, right? Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. What did the 99 say? Sometimes that's a problem. What do you think the 99 said? As Jesus left them in the pasture to go after the lost sheep. What about us? Where'd Jesus go? He loves lost people more than he loves us. What about us? Sometimes I hear this. We're blessed in this church. 
because we've always had a vision, always had a vision for reaching younger people. Our old people, our old people always loved to see young people get saved more than they loved their own comfort. It is a very dangerous place when a church loves comfort. When a church cares about the music and the style catering to them, and we try to keep it the way that makes them comfortable. So a general, there are, there are, I can tell you, there are churches all over this city that are dying. Yes. They're full of old people. And their highest value is to keep things the way they are. And they will keep things that way until they close the doors of the church and sell the property, probably to a younger congregation. And what, you know, I'm no spring chicken any longer. If I am, it's a really long spring. (laughs) But I can tell you, my heart, my desire is that we must always reach younger people. They're the the life, they're the hope of the church. I don't want to be 10 funerals from death. We've got to love the kingdom of God more than we love our comfort. We have to lay down what we think is best for us for what is best for the kingdom of God. And that's hard for us. I don't know about you, but I'm selfish as all get out. I'm battling with me all the time. Are you? I know what I want. I want what I want. But in the church, we have, to, we have to be thinking about the vision. You say, well, what about me? You know, can't you imagine that he's rejoicing more over the lost one? They're rejoicing in heaven over the lost one. The one lost, the one idiot who wandered off, and we got to have a party for the idiot. If we're not careful, that's our mentality. What about me? We have to be thinking about the kingdom. What's good for the kingdom of God? We have to be willing, we all, we all have to be willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Our goal should be, how do we bring someone else to the party? Did you know there was a party for you on the day that you got saved? There was a great celebration in heaven the day that you got saved. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that you're in. Rejoice that the grace of God has brought you into the family of God. And now by the work that he's done, he found you and brought you into the kingdom of heaven. There was a great rejoicing in heaven on the day that you came into heaven. Now let's rejoice with others as they come in. Let's join with heaven. What's heaven doing? Heaven is rejoicing over lost sheep of every age. Our mission at LCC, this is what we, this is our mission statement. And this is what we're trying to do. Our mission is to work with God. Actually, it should be in his mission, not, but work with God and his mission of loving the world to redemption. How does God reach the world? By loving them. Loving them so much that he died for them. And then discipling the redeemed to maturity. 
Our goal is to reach the lost and then disciple those that get found. So my prayer for us would be, Lord, help us to reach unlikely people. Help us to reach all kinds of people. Either ones that we think are too far away or too far gone. Those that maybe other churches would not be able to accept. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be a loving place where people can hear the hope of the message of Jesus Christ without compromise. Because here's the reality. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must receive Christ as your Savior personally. You must make that decision. Your parents can't save you. Your grandparents can't save you. Bible knowledge can't save you. Church attendance won't save you. Giving won't save you. Good works won't save you. You must be born again. You must, for yourself, receive the promise of salvation. You must say yes to the tug that is at your heart. The faith that is there to say yes to God has been given by God. And it's a great opportunity. God is calling you. The great call to bring us into the family of God and say yes to him. Yes. And here's the heart of God. God goes after lost sheep. Because sometimes, even those of us who are in really mess up. Right? Does God give up on you when you mess up? If God gave on us when we messed up, none of us would be here. But God is continually pulling us to himself. He's pulling us to salvation. He's pulling us to know him more. We know that that is the great gift that God can give us, is knowledge of himself. So he's calling us today. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you haven't received him as your Savior, you must be born again. You must receive him as your Savior. I implore you, I beg of you, Receive him as your Lord. Receive him as your Savior. There's a tug in your heart. Say yes to that. Say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. If you're here today and you would like to say yes to Jesus... If you have any questions, I'll be up here in the front. I'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you. Encourage you any way that I can. I believe that it's just as simple as this to begin the journey because God's done the work. To begin the journey is to believe in Christ, receive him in your heart, confess him with your mouth. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and I receive him as my Savior. It's just that simple because he did the work. Now, Living that is not simple. It's the first step of a great adventure and journey. 
But he did the work. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself righteous. But you can receive his righteousness today. So, Father, we're thankful for the great work that you've done on the cross. And we believe it and we receive it. We receive your salvation. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the kind of place that loves lost people. The kind of church that has the heart of God and cares about lost people. Lord, help us to seek and to save that which is lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you.